trials and tribulations of Ben Ennis. You look, uh, you looked a little run down this morning. And you said it's because the boys, you had to get them out the door. That's not an insult. That's not an insult. That don't be, don't be all. I, I haven't said anything. I will say I know, that you, it's hard to face. be run down first thing in the morning. Like I, I know what you mean, yeah. but yeah, it's like run well, down. I didn't want to say run down. I feel like it's it's for later in the day. Later, I'll be run down. Yeah. Later, you can call me up. <laughs> you can send me a text and, and ask me if I'm run down, and I will say affirmative, very much run down. But no, well, I just had to get two young children out the door in the rain, and the, there was one umbrella. Yeah. So I was going to leave it at no umbrellas, and then my wife was like, we have an umbrella. I was like, no, one umbrella is way worse than zero umbrellas. I was just going to say, your boys are your boys play extremely well together. There's no doubt about it. They're yeah. best buddies. They're great to hang out with. But certainly, and this is not unique to them, this is any two-child home situation. When one of them expresses interest in a thing, then it becomes oh, the sole nightmare. focus of the other, you know? Yeah. That's... And and you see this a lot. Like I remember, like even this summer, I won a big stuffed animal at the X because I'm a stud and I could hit the the basketball shot with no ease, whatsoever, or without Whoa, any issue whatsoever. Just drain show, swish, huge koala. Let's see you prize. knock over the milk jugs, but okay, go I ahead. Can, oh, can I tell you something about that? I you I threw it too hard. No one can. No, I threw it too hard, and I tried to throw it at an angle. <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't read that you're not supposed to throw it very hard. And do you know why? Yeah. Because it bounces back and smokes. It sure face. does. And it smoked <laughs> the carny. <laughs> <laughs> feel bad laughing at the carny. Oh, but yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. no, I don't feel bad for carnies. They're charging a million dollars to throw three of those balls. They're out somewhere living in, I don't know, some palatial estates because they have made. <laughs> no, I'm telling you, the carnies are riding high on the hog, buddy. They're it's, doing... it's not like Nightmare Alley. No, things have, have advanced since then. No, no it's like show. <laughs> no, it's it's the opposite of Nightmare Alley. They're all living in the beautiful apartment that the lawyer has. That's where oh. they're all living. You know, with the <laughs> recording see. set up, all of that. They've got it all. Yeah. They've got it all. So don't whip the don't throw a fastball like I did, trying to show off and missing. I, it wasn't bottles though. It was break three plates at once. I think is the was. The oh, I haven't done that one. But, yeah, the bottles one is impossible. It's n yeah. not a thing that you can do. Well, the physically. shot is not because, you know, like I said, I make it every single time. It's my it's my. Oh, you can make move. a basketball shot? Way to go. Yeah, but those, buddy, if you knew anything, <laughs> if you had ever made one, you would know how difficult they are. And it just takes a special a kind of sharpshooter. It takes a special kind of sharpshooter like me to get it done. Yeah. But, anyways, the point of this was not about my athletic achievements, which are mm -hmm. many. Sure it wasn't. But more to do with you couldn't you can't give the prize to any family where there's two kids roaming around. You have to give oh, the prize no. away at the end of the night to somebody else because what are you going to do with a giant koala freak? No. Like you're not yeah. you're not bringing that to your home. You've got to give it to a child at some point in the evening after you've done the bragging with you and the girl that you're with. And when you try to give it to a kid, it has to be a single child household. Otherwise, it will be it will breed chaos within the home. Hundred percent. No, and we're going through this. We're obviously, my wife is on it. We've already done all the Christmas shopping, but yeah. um, the seven-year-old could same, probably yes. have some <laughs> gifts that are a little mo bit more age-appropriate, but he can't, yeah. right? Because yeah. that would be different than the <laughs> gifts that the four-year-old would get. So yeah. everybody has to get the same <laughs> gift, and and I, I some of them lift the four-year-old up, and and you know, 
It's, yeah. a, it's a little more, you know, less age appropriate for him. Some of them drag the seven-year-old down. But yeah, we yeah. we got to get gifts for like a a, a five and a half-year-old so that everybody can have the same gift and not freak out on a on December 25th. What what I love about this is picturing when it, when it has to end, you know, like your oldest becoming 16 and really wanting a car. Dad, please could I have a car? And then you show up and you get them both like bikes. <laughs> yeah, know? that's they, right. Yeah, they add Power wheels. Same. Yeah, yeah, they just have the exact <laughs> same toys constantly, yeah. the exact same gifts. The other one, once they get savvy to this, they only open the one gift. They just leave the other one yeah. unwrapped knowing, all right, we'll just save that one for later. Or, or sell the, it. Yeah, I was just going to say, this, the smart move would be they get one of those. You ever follow those Instagram accounts that tell you to sell stuff on Amazon? I, I can't help it. No. I live like these parallel lives where I think that part of it is just me getting ready for my impending firing from this place and mm-hmm. knowing that there's nothing beyond this for me. You know, I don't have a, no, a secondary skill. You're a mover. You have experience as a no, mover. I, you think, and yeah, you think I'm out. going back to that life? You think I'm going back to breaking my body? Hell yeah, buddy. No, that's, a, that's yeah. too hard. All right, I'm soft now. I'm I'm done. <laughs> I'm cheese. It's over. I I have to try to look at these things and think I could do that. I could basically fraud people on Amazon by buying oh, yeah. super cheap stuff and Buddy, shyster is absolutely yeah. a, like a job that I could see you yeah, doing. Yeah, you, you, would, you would you would you would yeah, yeah, you big time shyster. <laughs> you think yeah, I you'd shyster. be king shyster. I think. Thanks, buddy. I've, I honestly, I kind of appreciate that. That means that I could sell something that has yes. no value. So sales, yeah, sales. Yes, a hundred percent. You could lie through your teeth and sell somebody something. I, but I mean, exactly. I shouldn't say this. I shouldn't say this, but I don't understand how anybody sells anything now. Because it's all, unless it's just some crazy sale on something that you think is going to fill the void for a second, how does anybody think anything is, anyway, I don't want to get down this dark path, but I just, I can't imagine trying to sell something to someone in earnest. I don't know what you mean. <laughs> what do you mean? Because things are on the internet? What do you mean? Yeah, just, no, I, yeah. Uh, anyway, we have too many options. I'm not going, I'll, I won't, okay. I'm just going to pivot off of this. Um, right. Speaking of selling things to people, World Cup. Seven. No, sorry, I got this wrong. World Cup is 4.4 million viewers. The Raptors championship game, game six, was 7.7, I believe. I was looking that up with the, the fellas yesterday. So this has been pretty unqualified success in terms of growing the sport in this country. It's always difficult for me with growing soccer because everyone at some point plays soccer here, right? Well, it's also the most popular sport on the planet. Yeah, that's that's what I mean. This is so what I, I kind of want to start with a weird one for you, which is what do you think that this actually is when growing the sport? Is it just the ten million dollars that goes into the the soccer fund that we don't really know how the funds get appropriated? Is it knowing who Alfonso Davies is? Like, what is the actual legacy of these games moving forward in terms of its quote unquote impact? Oh, it's massive. And actually, I was talking to Craig Forrest about this yesterday, and I'm glad he reminded me of the fact that this is – it feels like it, it, this has been growing, and, it, and it's been at this level for a while, and we paid attention to this team through qualifying, certainly for months and months and months. It's like barely over a year ago that they couldn't get people into BMO Field to watch this team. Actually, that's a really good point because when I went to – United States. No, when I went to the game, uh, it was El Salvador. no. 
Yeah, it was El Salvador. I, yeah, I, I yeah. went to and that I went game. to the Honduras game, and it was like 50-50 Honduran yeah. and 50-50 Canadian fans, and it was like one quarter full. Yeah, that's exactly right. It was not a packed house, and it was definitely more El Salvadorian fans, and people were worried about that. And it's part of the reason that I became such a fan of going to those games was I got a little pissed off that there was not enough red at the El Salvador game, and I went, "No, this isn't right. We gotta have, we gotta protect our turf." I became like a nationalist all of a sudden, just watching soccer. That was the power of that. Anyways. Uh, yeah, you're right. You're, you're right. It, it is important to remember where this, you know, where this program was yeah. for the men's side, you know, a year ago. And, and by the time we got to the end of qualifying, right, like the Ice Tech game in Edmonton w- had yeah. super high viewership, over a million people, and as you mentioned, four million for uh, approximately four million for both of the the first two World Cup games, despite the the, the time of day not being ideal for ratings. So, uh-huh. um, yeah, I, I mean, you can see it. If if Canada after this thing played an exhibition game at BMO Field like this summer, is Canada going to play some friendlies against yeah. somebody at BMO Field? And how packed will that building be? I would like to think pretty jam packed, and that's an incredible accomplishment. Again, looking back to not even two years ago, where this team was, it was less than irrelevant. It was it was not a thing. It was embarrassing. Honestly, it was embarrassing to go to a Canada game before that final round of qualifying, the octagonal, where they ended up, you know, winning the whole thing, going on an incredible unbeaten streak. We used but to no, mock this that. Is, we used to mock yeah. that openly as, are they at the Oct yet? Are yeah, they the, at the, uh, the Octo. The, yeah, the Oct, yes, it was, that was the old, that was the old us. That's not the new us. Yeah, but you can see it. I It, it is, it is something. And it, it's hard not to get caught up in the moment, right? Even between games one and two of the World Cup and go from the elation of outplaying a second-ranked team in game one to getting your heads caved in in game two. Um, but yeah, you, you really do need to take a, a macro, like, bigger view on this thing and, and that it it was not that long ago that it was a pretty dire situation. Okay. So to me, the team success thing is a great story. and But it, it when it runs its course into places like where Canada soccer is right now, right? Which is, you just said it, they get their head caved in by a really good side. That's when I think the the narrative shifts a little. I mentioned it as it's the era or the end of an era for this program where the innocence is over. The, the non-judgmental phase is over. And you even saw that with people online. Like they scored one goal against Croatia and everyone went... How come you didn't win? <laughs> Why didn't you have yeah. the tactics to beat those yeah. guys? One of the best midfields in the group. People have expectations now, right? And you and I love media stuff. And so I texted you yesterday, and we've got a couple of topics that we're going to get through today, like Tiger Woods we're going to try to touch on. I think we'll do a little Blue Jays. I was supposed to have Ross Stripling today. He canceled. Um, he's doing all right. He just had to cancel sort of last minute. But I'm going to have Blair on later, so I might do a little bit more of the Blue Jays stuff with him than I had planned with you originally. But I want to get both of your guys' perspective today on the Davies story because this is a weird one for me. I can't, I can't remember the name of the author off the top of my head. You do, right? The Chris CBC Jones. Guy? Chris Jones. Okay. This guy from CBC, Chris Jones, pens this piece. And Bruce Arthur had brought it up earlier on social media and took a ton of flack. Well, and to be fair, everybody who wrote about that game on Sunday had at least a one-sentence uh, paragraph in their story about Davies not being available after the yeah. game. Yeah. Okay. So, it, ex- exactly. It's clearly... 
it's a thing, right? People misconstrued the idea that Davey's doing his one-on-ones with the broadcasters or one-on-ones with different outlets was him speaking to the press corps, right? And soccer is so weird because if this is the NFL or this is the NBA, then I am immediately on the side of old-school journalists going, hey, why isn't this guy owning up to it, right? That's what you always want is face the music. I always think of Cam Newton after that Super Bowl, right, where he loses to the Broncos and he won't Doesn't quote unquote, go for the fumble. Yeah, and he won't face the music, which is such a weird thing we do. I acknowledge it. It's a weird thing we do, but I, I believe that leadership comes with some level of accountability, and that is one form of accountability. But that clearly media is changing, and I don't really – like, I wouldn't have noticed Alfonso Davings not speaking to the press corps unless the press corps alerted me to it kind of thing, where I'm going, yes. I wasn't waiting for this. Yeah. But then a part of me goes, uh, the team is great, the team is really fun, yeah. and as much as Davies individually as a success story has propelled Canada soccer onto a completely different stage, and he's the name, he's the face of the tournament, I do think that the successes are secondary to the stakes in the stories when it comes to fan interest and press and media does help with that. Where, where are you at with all of this? I know that's very vague and broad, but no, I'm genuinely okay. trying to flesh out my feelings on this and yeah. I, I kind of need your help. You know, I love this story. I really do. But I, I love not necessarily in just like blanket statement, this is important and you should care about it because I, yeah. I, I, I really don't think that the average fan should or does care about it because you actually did hear from Alfonso Davies like yeah. if you were and watching, I heard enough. Yeah, you you if you were watching the broadcast, which yeah. you know more than four million of us were, then yeah, you heard Alfonso. More Davies. people, far 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 more people were watching that broadcast, seeing him quote unquote face the music. Then yeah, we're gonna read the CBC's article yeah. on it, and and that well, and that tried to take it in an entirely different direction. That that is like just an indication of some discord within the locker room that that, yeah, he that was is like fomenting. Move. Yeah. I do think he's getting bad advice, right? And, and what is true about that, uh, well... Davies or I mean, the guy who wrote that column that decided no. to bring up his earrings? <laughs> Chris Jones? No, yeah. no, no. I, I don't know Chris Jones from, from Adam. But, yeah. no, I think Davies is getting some bad advice. That, like, even yeah. doing his media availability yesterday, he had his agent sitting next to him, apparently, which is, yeah, yeah not exactly right. par for the course. It's really yeah. a little bit bizarre. And, yeah, he's a big star. There's a lot of big stars in this team. A lot of, a lot of, no. I mean, nobody's playing at Bayern, I suppose, and is was a, a former uh, one of the world 11 like Davies is. But no, so do I think the fans care? No. Do I think they should care? No, not necessarily. Do I think there is a, an added value to speaking? And Craig Forrest, again, like going back to my conversation with somebody who would know and has been following this team when nobody else was and had a vested interest in this team doing well and becoming relevant. And when he tells me that part of the responsibility of the players is to ensure that the interest sustains itself and continues to grow and that there's not some drop-off and speaking to the media is part of that. I, I believe him. But the other thing, like, selfishly, and this is navel-gazing, but, like, I think of the guys like Christian Jack, who, again, I just like Craig Forrest, but, like, a media member who's had so much equity in this program, has covered it when nobody cared whether he covered it, is in Qatar right now and has done like a 30-minute sit-down with Alfonso Davies, just wants to ask him a question after the, the, the most important game in this country's soccer history, 
and he's not made available to him because he's not working for the rights holders? Like, honestly, that's the number one thing I, I think about. And again, fans shouldn't yeah, necessarily is, care that about that. I, I don't think fans care about that. That is you. No, they shouldn't. Your I'm just telling you what I'm thinking for, about. Yeah, absolutely. And I, like, I care about that, too, because we know how hard certain aspects of the job can be and how much you can actually put into this stuff. So many people just think, oh, you flip a microphone on or you write about a game, you know, and that's actually the frustrating – that's one of the more frustrating things that go into doing this job. This job is great. I love this to death. But it does take a lot of work, prep, sacrifice of your social life. And someone like Christian Jack, who's been doing this for so long and having it be unseen, someone like you and I could absolutely relate to that. I guess for me, the main thing is, okay – how do we best communicate the story of the game? And it's the part that Craig Forrest is talking about. I think that we're in a different time than he was, so there's probably a little bit of projection, just like with us with the Christian Jack thing, from him as a player, where he would go, dude, if, if we had an Alfonso Davies right. type, which I actually yeah. kind of was for our program at one Yeah, I was time. a Gold Cup MVP. We won yeah. a Gold Cup, and I was the yeah. MVP, and no one cared. Exactly, and no I, one cared. I would have so, loved for people to care, and if I had a platform and an ability to try and convince people to care, I would have absolutely taken it. Right, and not only that, he probably... Man... Again, you want to speak about a life in soccer like Christian Jack. Think about all of the hours that Craig Forrest has put into soccer and mm -hmm. into Soccer Canada. And the things that he probably endured when he was overseas playing and going, I'm Canadian, and they went, <laughs> oh, my God, how? How did this happen? This is, a, this is wild. There is a stewardship there that you probably want to see passed along, right? It's like anything that's important to you when you pass on to the next generation. You want it to be as important to them. And guess what? Normally it's not. <laughs> that's just kind of the way that it goes. So I completely understand his perspective. But he also – we don't need Alfonso Davies to – be the same way as Craig Forrest, right? We're not going to need Alfonso Davies to go into broadcasting after so that we have one player from this generation that people know who they are, right? Look at even the, the women's soccer team. I was going through their roster and trying to figure out who would be guests throughout the World Cup and who we could get on, and it was shocking how I went, oh, I, I can get like up to around 15 national women's soccer players on that people will remember the name of. That's wild. Yeah. That is a huge step forward. But you know what else, too? They also have done a bunch of media stuff, and they've yep. been around for these things, and that, I believe, yeah, has Yeah, but what came things. first, though? Them doing media no, the or success. the success? It's success. No, the success. But this is where I'm going with kind of the, the long-winded way of getting to why I do think it's somewhat important that he goes there. There, there is this newer sports culture that is, hey, if you're good at your sport, you don't have to explain or talk or do anything because you are – already making the game great but i do not i just don't believe that we would really care about soccer or hockey or baseball or basketball whatever iteration of sport without storytelling and without like that being a component of it and if you start to lose some of the storytelling then to me it just it, it does get smaller there will always be people that want to watch the games right they don't care about the stories yeah. i get it yeah but at some point in your investment in these games right. there was a story that you latched on to and i don't know mm. if it's davy's responsibility to do it for the goodness of the game like that's exhausting he's not batman he doesn't have to show up to every single podium or every single event or anything anytime a journalist feels slighted it's oh the stories but i kind of by think the way that... batman would want you to say he's not batman he's like if he was batman he'd be like great he doesn't think i'm batman
Yeah, except for now people would even be like, why did he even reference that he's not Batman? No one was thinking that until he said that. And now we're kind of looking at the measurements of the man thinking he could kick my ass in the middle of the night. Anyway, <laughs> my, my, God damn it. Now I'm all off track. But the, the point Sorry. is, is that there is a little piece of me that goes, all right, clearly the grandstanding that this journalist did where he's dividing the locker room and you yeah. know he's got the earrings that are – he shouldn't wear his earrings it, that though. are more – I appreciate the attempt, by the way. Yeah, okay, sure. It did spin and create some content. Clearly things are different now, but the one thing I believe to be the same is that a story matters and that if Davies – is just the story. Man, why are you investing in Davies in the first place, right? It's because yes, his story where is incredible. He, he comes from and yeah. like how he became a Canadian national soccer icon. That's the part of it. If he just showed up and was good, people would go, who is that guy? He's really good. Oh, he plays for Byron. He's okay. He's gone. The, the story doesn't have a lasting impact on people. No, it's because of the story. And so if it just sort of ends here when it comes to what he shares with the world and what he shares with the public – I, I do think that in some way that is a disservice to the game. I just also don't think that he owes anything to people. It's just it is a bonus. Does that make sense? Yeah. What I just say? No, makes no. Sense? I, yes, He's, is, he shouldn't be arrested because he didn't speak after yeah. the match, like pretty clearly. And he wasn't the only one. Also, it's it's noted in that piece by Chris Jones that Jonathan David walked right by and after Alfonso Davies and the Canada Soccer Media PR person was like, "Please speak to these people so I don't have to feel their wrath." And he's like, "Nah." And I do wonder if there's a trickle-down effect, too, Actually, right? that would it's have like, been the more interesting piece is Chris Jones writes, hey, the head of Canada Soccer PR, kind of a, like, no one likes him. <laughs> no yeah. one likes this person. They can't get it. Well, I mean, speak. that was honestly the, the first thing that came to my mind when it, it was revealed that Davies hasn't done media this whole time is that there's obviously some rancor between him and Canada Soccer when it came yeah. to the jersey sales and, you know, the way he feels and the way the negotiations are still ongoing between the players and the head of Canada soccer and and wondering if that plays into th into things also it should be noted that pretty clearly there was a mea culpa and a realization that he made a mistake because he did media yesterday right and there was a the spin on court? it that pardon me he did the press corps yeah Alfonso Davies yeah and guess what I didn't even notice and this is my point is what is this even actually worth this is what I'm trying to sift through and figure out I never noticed it I was watching yeah, Luka Doncic it. score 40 points against the Warriors like and going wow that was spectacular so I was watching the games and not the stories yesterday I wasn't plugged yeah, in yeah no he did it site. yesterday and then referenced why he didn't do it after the game yeah. on Sunday and take it or leave it here's what he said he said that Sunday he didn't want the goal to overshadow the game and that he didn't want the talking points after the match to be only about him and the See, I don't like how you're saying this. I don't like how you're saying this. I actually and believe I'm just, him because I love him. He is my he's no, my no, son. No, but, he's the son of a nation. How okay, dare but the, you question yeah, that? That, that, that doesn't track really at all, right? Why? Because um, it was like the only positive part of the game. Like yeah. if anyone and clearly he would have had an opportunity to talk about the 90 minutes and, well, the 88 minutes after he scored the goal, which yeah, were but, but pretty not very good. Yeah, but pretty clearly he would have been, had he talked about that moment, that moment gets clipped and pushed into everywhere during that cycle of losing. I'm, I, I actually love that spin. That's an incredible – If listen, if it isn't true, his PR guy – no wonder he's well beside him at the media conference yeah. because he's a genius. That worked yeah. on me. That worked on me, Benny. I'm telling you. That's a good well, one. And, that's a good spin. Yeah, and that's the thing. He's done stuff before. I mentioned the 30 minutes sit down with Christian Jack. He's he's yeah. spoken to the media. Um, he's not shy. He has a point of view. He does his live streams. It's it's it is sure. it's a little head scratching as to why he wouldn't have done it 
until yesterday, but he's yeah. clearly capable of doing it. I do think it's an, an advisor thing, and I, I wouldn't be surprised if now he does it every time he's requested before the end of the tournament. But but my point here is not so much about him. It's about the state of this in general, right? Right. What is the... What is what do we actually need to tell these stories? Whose responsibility is it to better tell the stories? What is the relationship supposed to be like well, between these like high profile athletes that have a billion demands, right? It this isn't the same media climate at as it used to be, obviously. I don't need anybody I don't need to kind well, of tell to, anybody. And to be this, cynical though. about it, like if you yeah. don't speak, it's more likely that you get like a Chris Jones type hit piece, right? Is because nature abhors a vacuum someone's yeah. going to try and fill in the gaps they're gonna you, I think you're not telling your side of the anyway. story even if you do tell your side of the story that someone's gonna write the hit piece anyway so that can't be the motivation i think the motivation does genuinely have to be hey all of this is built on the idea of fans and the and one of the best ways to keep fans is to make sure that yeah they know like who you are that they're invested yep. in you personally not just whoever it is because it works when you have a maple leaf sweater on right and it goes over a hundred years and it's, but it's still a story that was passed on to you right it was a story that was hey like again it's it's Boreas Salming tonight right he's getting honored it was a story at one point that my dad is telling about how tough this guy is right mm -hmm. it's a story of him watching Sittler's 10-point game and me wanting to experience something like that when I'm a kid. And, and it's still storytelling that does get passed down. A lot of that is the game, and I'm not sure how many of those times it was just necessarily a story that they read in a newspaper that had them more invested. But you always feel like you know your heroes better when you have access to more information about of them. Of course. And I think more access is good. I just don't know what the ones that are actually important are anymore. Here's what I can tell you. I don't think it should just be Players' Tribune articles. No offense to the Players' oh, Tribune. Yeah. I don't think that it should just be team-run media where it's the... Well, and, and to be fair, that's like when I talk about the, the rights holders doing interviews, yeah. that's what that is, right? Like there's obviously yeah. not going to be any pushback from somebody who has a vested interest and many millions of dollars invest, invested in mm -hmm. the broadcasting of these games and wants to f continue to foster a relationship between not just the national team but FIFA in general. And I'm not yeah. saying anything that any nobody knows, but yeah, no, that's why you need independent media to be involved in telling the player's story. Yes, do I think Alfonso Davies would be better served? Do I think we'd all be better served if he spoke? I do. Mm -hmm. Did he say anything yesterday that was necessarily revelatory? No, but I, I, I yeah, and it, I, this is maybe too simple, but if Messi can do. <laughs> can do media like routinely every single day like I, I really don't think that it's it's too much to ask that Alfonso Davies can do like a couple of media sit downs sure to all I would say to that is if this was Canada hockey and Connor McDavid and they had suffered a loss to Belarus pretty sure Connor McDavid would speak to the media that's more a, that's more of a closer link to me to the messy thing Okay, but what if the the Bella Russians had this guy, the one NHL player, and hey, yeah, they scored know. a goal and they lost four one to Canada? Wouldn't you want the guy who scored I, the goal? Here's my guess: is Belarus's media has already written the story. They already had it. It was already <laughs> printed and pressed. And whoever scored that goal, they already had his quote unquote quote um, uh, ready to rock and roll in the paper. Anyway. Okay. Um, I just I, I don't know if I would have noticed this as a story unless it became a story that he wasn't doing it, right? Mm -hmm. And yeah. me getting alerted to that 
made me go, well, what is, again, what is all of this worth? Is this the place where we should be telling stories? If it's not there, then where the hell is it? And I'm, I'm still working that out. Anyway, let's take a quick break. Then I want to do some rapid stuff with you. Um, you alerted me to the significance of this Tiger Woods thing. Here's the, here's the tease. Uh, is Tiger Woods the most honorable athlete of all time? I love it. <laughs> That's next. Sportsnet 590, The Fan. So don't worry, I will pay off the tease about Tiger being the most honorable athlete ever. But before I do that, I will... My my opinion on the matter is subject to change, although mine's kind of soft. Because I am going to ask Jeff Blair at 10 o'clock uh, what he thinks of the Mattingly dynamic and how this is going to what this is actually going to be for the Toronto Blue Jays because, yeah, anyways, the Jays are nearing an agreement with Don Mattingly to become uh, the bench coach of their of their team. Uh, a guy formerly with the Dodgers and the Marlins. I'm pretty sure he played like 16, 14 years uh, with the Yankees, uh, 17, almost 1,800 games, so a lot of experience. You, do you think this is a bit of a weird one uh, when it comes to who they hired to be around John Schneider, or are you fine with it? Uh, I'm fine with it, but it is a bit of a head-scratcher that a guy with previous managerial experience would be the bench coach. Like, the guy sitting right next to the guy who's in his first kick of the can. Like, this is going to be John Schneider's first full season as a major league manager. And instead of, like, remember we we did the same thing with the John Gibbons, Eric, Eric Wedge thing? Eric Wedge was just in the organization, just, like, floating around doing something. I forget what his job title was. But it's like having Eric Wedge right next to John Gibbons. It's yeah. I, and I know it's not that right. They just signed him to this big extension, mm-hmm. even more than Rob Thompson, who his team got to World Series. So it's, it's not like they're gonna turn around in the middle of the season if the Blue Jays are floundering and say, Don Mattingly, you're the next manager. But it, it is it's it, it is a little bit odd. Obviously, he goes into it eyes wide open that that's not going to be the case. And and I guess there's supposed to be you know an inexperienced manager sitting next to a guy who's been through these these wars and and somebody who we can lean on for advice and 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 help him get through it and and yeah who's who's been there before but it was it's a it's a bit of a head scratcher I, I won't lie to me this is where we've been all been watching too much game of thrones like we watch yeah. way too much game of thrones sure. we sports think are that, like that sometimes so they are like that sometimes but i do not believe Don Mattingly took this job and he hangs up the phone with 100%. Mark Shapiro and he looked at his wife and went, <laughs> those fools, you know, he's just going to be yes. constantly undermining this guy and try to figure out how he'll become the manager of the Toronto Blue Jays. No, I, this to me is where we show our own insecurities, right? Because... Yeah, does it on paper? Can you sell it as John Schneider? Oh, a manager with little experience next to a manager with a ton of experience. Oh, what if the people... Yeah, you could also sell it as, you know what is really good within organizations? Diversity. Yeah. You know, diversity of experience, diversity of life or experience. lots of qualified people. Right, exactly. And so, ideally, this should be sort of the perfect thing for the Toronto Blue Jays. John Schneider has a wealth of experience coming up with a lot of these guys within the organization, knowing which buttons to press, knowing which people to talk to. And Mattingly should be able to come in here and have a wealth of experience with the game at large and dealing with other personalities and dealing with certain situations and successes and highs and lows and being able to relate to a hitter that's in a slump better than a guy like John Schneider could. So what? 
I was going to say, honestly, like I joked about this with Blake yesterday. If his one job is to, you know, former MVP, all-time great first baseman for the New York Yankees. If his one job is to turn Vlad into Don Mattingly, then yes. Okay, good hire. And yeah. if it works, <laughs> if, he, if, he, if he figures out the secret sauce when it comes to you, Vlad. You drive me nuts with this stuff, though, because when we talk about certain players, you go, they can never change, right? This is new Randall joke. Yeah. And then you'll be optimistic about a guy like Vladimir well, Guerrero Jr. changing. Yeah, but the, the reason I think he can change is because he's shown the ability to be good. This is an, another thing we talked about on on my show a bunch. Is wait, are you are you publicly stating that you're back in on Vlad because you've never been I'm, in on Vlad his entire career? So that's uh, not, that's not in, necessarily true. No, true. no. see how he hesitated. That's you've <laughs> never been in on Vlad. No, once you demonstrate an ability to do something, you own uh-huh. that forever, and that that that's always a possibility. We know that that's within him, right? Okay. Last year wasn't that, but two years ago that was that. And were there mitigating factors like you know playing in a joke ballpark for? Okay, uh, yeah. See, like I said, there's uh, exhibit A. You, no, you, this but is we also saw it, But yeah, okay, go on. Yeah, we also saw it in the minor leagues that he's capable of being like a hundred plus walk guy in the major leagues. And honestly, that's that's to me the the biggest point of differentiation between. 820 OPS Vlad and 950 1000 OPS Vlad is just the ability to spit on balls that he can't do damage with and then force pitchers into the zone. So yeah, no, do I think he's capable of getting back to the thing that he's only uh, he's already shown he is capable of doing? I do. I'm not out on Vlad. And again, like had a fine season, but this is a guy that you expect to be one of the best hitters in baseball, which he wasn't last year. Um, this is just a quick last one on baseball before we do the Tiger Woods thing. Um, Abreu signs with, and I guess it's Jose because now they have two Abreus, right? They got Bobby Abreu, the reliever, uh, the relief yeah. pitcher, and now Jose Abreu. So Abreu signs with the Astros. He was, do you know how old he is? Yeah, he's 35. Yeah, he's going to be 36 next. That blew me away. I thought I, I even went. How is this guy hitting free agency? Isn't he a baby? I don't. I don't know how I was so off with his his age, but 824 OPS last season. Uh, it's a three year deal. Do you feel like the Astros are just like what? What were your feelings when he signed this deal? Because part of me is just going, "Hey, they, they've—they're becoming sort of what the Yankees were always supposed to be when we were kids, and the the top tier franchises in baseball. When you thought, "Hey, why can't you compete?" It's—it's it's clearly been the Dodgers out in the NL these past bunch of years that'll just outspend, outfigure anybody else. But now the Astros have sort of become this blend of we're the Rays, but we're also the Yankees, and it's weird to me. Yeah, I know it's the best place to be when you are good at scouting and development and then you have the financial Money. wherewithal to, to go out. Yeah. Now, I will say that Ibreu is maybe not the best example of that, although that is like a, a classic Yankees move is to go get the guy who's about to be 36 and sign him to a $60 million deal after he just had like his worst power season of his entire uh-huh. career. Only hit but we would admit runs. that that guy is still a, a, like he's a scary bat and you throw oh, him into the Houston yeah. lineup and it's terrifying. No, and he still had 183 hits last year, right? Yeah. Like this is he, he hit a bunch, yeah. but not necessarily for power. And if you're a first baseman though, and he only hit 15 home runs, like that is should be noted that that's. But this is a guy who was a former MVP in the in the weirdo 60 game season. Like he's been good, and he's been super durable. Like never ever ever misses time. 
Um, yeah, I think it was a, a, a fine move. I, I, I do wonder about the, like, post-35-year-old first baseman and the guy who's already shown, again, a diminished power skill set, how that ages in the next but don't you, three but years. But that's what I'm saying about them being the Rays-Yankees hybrid thing that's happening here is you don't – when the Rays make a trade, we automatically assume they've won the trade even when a, it's a good guy going out the door and we're saying, hey, this is going to look really awesome in three years. I, yeah. I feel like the Astros have taken on that life for me where they signed Abreu and I went, this is going to work out brilliantly for them. Well, yeah, if, if he hits 300 for them, that's good, which he did last year, right? Like, this, that's the thing. The power diminished, but he was still – he was getting on base, but on the strength, basically, of a, a high batting average. But, yeah, he's, he's not – at 33, Miguel Cabrera was done. This guy doesn't appear to be Miguel cabrera it, like, in his thir- mm. age 36 season. We'll see. And also that, that ballpark in Houston, pretty good to right-handed hitters, especially if you got a little bit of power to left field, although so is Chicago. Chicago is one of the best hitters' ballparks in, in all of baseball. I think it's going to work out for them, no question. I think that their strength, though, as we learned in the postseason, is that they, it's their pitching, pitching upon pitching upon pitching, and they just have to have enough offense to, to skate by. Like, in the in the postseason, they had an OPS under 700, mm-hmm. which is, I mean, and everybody, the, the, the offense goes down because it's only the best pitchers that pitch in sure. the postseason. But, yeah, if you want to point to the one reason why the Astros won the yeah, World yeah. Series, it's it's the pitching. Yeah, but yeah. that's not is, how they won Jose their first Rayu one. Is good? Yes, that, but that's it. It's just I, I'm kind of terrified of what the Astros are becoming, and... Yeah, they I, already I are? Yeah, but that's it. I thought this was going to kind of be one short run because they would have these guys and they would only pick one or two that they could end up paying because when Correa left, I went, oh, this is the end and Springer left and you're going, this is becoming more of the end and now it's not feeling anywhere near the end for the Astros. They just, it, it looks like they're going to be around for a very long time. Okay, so yesterday you send me a DM of Tiger unwilling to use a golf cart and we send each other a lot of different stories back and forth and so this one I just kind of glazed over and then you called me and said did you see the tiger thing that I sent you and I went kind of um what is it called the hero open hero invitational the hero world challenge that's it hero world challenge sorry tiger hosts uh, a golf tournament it has no cut it's a limited field thing it's like basically a joke tournament it's in the Bahamas it's fine uh yeah, they're all joke tournaments other than four, so it's all good. Yeah. Uh, yeah, listen, I don't disagree. Yeah, they, <laughs> you're a golf purist. Brent Gunning somewhere just lost it. <laughs> he, yeah. just, he just smashed something in a fit of rage. So you alert me to this story, and it's far more interesting than I had ever imagined it to be. In fact, I'll just have you kind of tell the story because I don't I don't want to drunk history this you know where okay. I only give up the couple of I don't pieces. have the direct quote in front of me but I can give Sure the, but the that's Coles fine. Notes. You can, the Coles notes is good. The Coles notes is good. So anyways, Tiger is not playing at his own tournament the Hero World Challenge this week because he has plantar fasciitis. He can hit the ball like once he gets to the ball, no problem. Says he's as good as he's ever been. Maybe didn't quite say it in those terms but he said that's not an issue. The issue is walking. He can't walk and especially with plantar fasciitis can't walk, so he's, he's pulling out of this thing. But he's going to play in the next two events because it's the match, made-for-TV thing, and then that PNC Championship thing where he gets to play with the son and he can take a golf cart because those are, even though this is a joke tournament, those are even more jokes. Like, those are just made-for-TV events. So he's going to take a, a golf cart. And the question was posed to him. There is a clause within the PGA Tour rules that if you are disabled 
can't walk, you can take a golf cart. We've seen John Daly do this. The, the case study was Casey Martin, Tiger Woods' Stanford teammate who had a, a birth defect in a leg and, this and is like, what I was petitioned. Waiting for you to get to. He petitioned the Americans with Disability Act to, hey, force the PGA Tour to let me use a golf cart. Tiger Woods was asked about this yesterday, said, hey, listen, that was my teammate. I voted against that. I didn't want him to use a golf cart because it's not fair. Walking is a huge part of golf, and that's why I won't do it because I don't think it's fair. I could use it. I could play golf to the best of my ability. I could play more than just the four majors a year, but I, I'm going to stick to my guns from 20 yes. years ago. Yes. I think it's an unfair advantage to use a golf cart. So... This is a two things can be true situation for me when it comes to is Tiger honorable, right? Is he being honorable? Yes and no. <laughs> yes and no. I know he believes that he's better with a cart, that it presents him a better opportunity, which in his mind allows him to think about all the people who could have been better had they been able to do this as well. He's such a purist, he does not want to have that in the game for just about anybody. He doesn't want to have it be a um, more of a case-by-case -case basis. He's still Tiger Woods, and his voice carries. This actually kind of gets back a little bit to the Davies conversation we had earlier about, hey, what are the greatest players' obligations in terms of telling the stories and gaining casual interest? It's immense, and I can tell you because Tiger Woods is doing that. How do I know that the Greg Norman thing is happening I know he was uh, part of Live. Obviously, I worked in sports, but how did I know it was as contentious as it was? Is because of Tiger Woods at that podium saying Greg Norman has to go, and I went, "Hell yeah, he does! <laughs> Hell yes, he does!" Tiger, talk that talk. It's important, right? It's important. This one, two things can be true. He believes it's an advantage, but he also is—he's building up his own mythos a little here. The idea that he could still compete just with the cart. He knows that he can't do that at Augusta. He's never showing up to Augusta and getting to use a cart. So what's the point of ever doing it? It's not a valuable rep for him. He's only trying to do one thing, which is be competitive at a couple more majors throughout his career and then hang him up and still be the most influential golfer to ever live, the most important voice in golf, blah, 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 go on down the line, whatever the hell it is. Good dad to Charlie, whatever you want it to be. But yes, the, do I believe that he actually believes what he's doing is honorable um, because he could go out there and whoop ass with a cart? No, I, I, I do not. I think it's uh, two truths and a lie. Yeah, if, if he was granted a cart, then it's, okay, Tiger, let's see what you got. Tiger, yeah, exactly. you, you said you're, exactly. you're Tiger. You said you're exactly. just normal Tiger with a, yeah. with, <laughs> without the walking component yeah. of golf. Oh, yeah. wait, no, you're, you're still finishing up the track? Wait, yeah. you, you actually do stink? It's not just the walking? Yeah, yeah, I could see that. I mean, my, my... It's the last thing that you have to hold on to, too. I'm sure that he somewhat believes it because when he's out there practicing, he also notices because he's a robot. Him having a cart has a tangible effect on his game right now. He's not as tired. He's able to strike the ball better, whatever. That being said, yes, it's probably the last shattering thing of him, too, if he does that against the world's greatest golfers in a high-stake pressure environment rather than just him doing it on his own with his son or with a friend, that it, it has to pierce that last little bit of Tiger Woods of himself, the himself of old. Okay, so let's 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 
play the play out the scenario that he's being totally on the up and up, and that and he has he's actually he actually does believe that he can compete, and it is the walking thing. And the only reason he won't do it is because he thinks it's a competitive advantage. Uh-huh. So if the PGA Tour just said anybody can use a cart, it's not just the people who can't walk. He would say, okay, I'll use a cart and I'll I'll play a full tour schedule. I'll play like every week on the PGA Tour. Wouldn't it behoove the PGA Tour to say, no. you know what? I don't care about the history of this game. This is the greatest golfer and the most impactful golfer we've ever had. If he's going to play more tournaments, if we change this rule, shouldn't they be changing the rule like yesterday? Absolutely not, because golf is already on the frame when it comes to is this a sport versus a game. Oh, my God. And the idea yeah, but the, that taking a card is going to change people's minds and Are your you mind. In, the in visual, particular. the visual of golfers walking up to the final hole, or walking a course, and drive, and having you wave. That's what I'm saying. All of a sudden, they're the pope in their little mobile. <laughs> they're the queen being caddied around by some. No, You're man, that it's not a great image. Like John Daly driving around with his no, cigs. <laughs> This is Diet Coke in his it's golf cart. Horrific! It's it's the worst <laughs> visual idea, dude. They could slap ads all the way around the like television screen, and all you could see is a little dime of a. Uh, here's the golfer without a cart. That is a much better idea than having them all driving around on carts. It it would it would ruin golf immediately from a, as a television show. Dude, no. could you imagine? Uh, and here they come up on 18, and he's. Uh, <laughs> You're yeah. tracking the little the <laughs> carting of the path. No man, it, it does there's not nothing work. too bad that outweighs the good of having Tiger Woods, though. Honestly, like the ti- have, even if you say, yes, "Hey, I'm saying I, I know is, this. This is it. I'm no, saying this no. is it." Honestly, yes, the golfer even if- walking the course with his caddy and having yeah. that conversation, <laughs> that visual of. Walking through a crowd. Yes, Caddy man. has to walk, too. That's the funniest yeah, thing. When John Daly the takes the card, as the caddy is walking yes, behind walking with the, with the bag. I know. <laughs> yeah. No, you walk. He flicks the dart at his feet. <laughs> Clean that up. <laughs> no, there's – you and I have had this conversation before about uh, – Caddies? Whether it's a cool job or not, and it certainly is yeah. not. It is not a cool job. Phil Mickelson ruined any semblance of that when he made his caddy go to the U.S. Open that he wasn't going to play in to check yeah. it out. Go walk He's like, around. leave. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, go walk around. <laughs> Tell me what it's like. Uh, I wanted to spend time with my family. Yeah. yeah. Don't, no, don't you worry got walking about that. To do, you need me walk around taking notes is what you're going to be doing yeah. today. And you're oh, going to be sending them back grass, to Greengrass, you Philly. say? All right. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> oh, a little longer in some places than in others? Oh. <laughs> interesting, interesting. Anyway, uh, no, you could never have carts in golf, man. That is it. I love as how a you're acting like you're a golf purist all the time. I'm you're telling like, yeah. you, I'm not a golf purist. I'm a television addict, and I watch a ton of sports, and I know what is yeah. visually and aesthetically pleasing. Tiger know- Woods is. Tiger Woods is the best thing on television when you're watching golf. It's the only thing that matters. And honestly, even – and I know the players would be Justin Johnson disgusted getting by this. on the cart. Like, uh, you know, they're like – and DJ, he's he's getting on. Brooks Koepka, they're all they're – <laughs> Oh, getting on the cart, these guys. Dude. It's all about the new athlete, right? With golf, it's the new athlete. These guys well, have to all be Tiger. They learn from Tiger. And then Tiger reverses course on that and goes, actually, not true. Don't need to be an athlete anymore. My legacy of changing the game into guys who need to be 24-7 in the gym, working out, making sure their bodies are right. Flip it. Reverse it. We're into the carts. We're all getting chubby <laughs> again. Who cares if you're hurt? Smoke your well, sticks. Get on in the carts. No. No. 
a horrific idea. You don't have to take the cart, and I bet you no. a lot of guys oh, wouldn't take yeah. the cart. I will and tell you what? that in then my Tiger experience, would hobble around too. Tiger would hobble around because if not everyone was doing it, he could not. I don't think he would do it. it he wouldn't, man. He's not going to let some young guy walk beside him in his pairing, and he gets on the cart, and he's like, I guess I'll see you up there. Like, no, man, that's not happening. <laughs> I play better. I, all I can tell you yeah, of course is that in do. my experience, I play You're better when John I'm walking. Daly-esque I'm more in into it. I, yeah, no, I'm, I'm reverse John oh, you Daly. Play better. I, feel, okay. I feel better I'm when I'm walking yeah, the golf course, that I'm, I'm into it. I get a chance. You know, I'm collecting my thoughts as I'm walking up to my golf ball. I'm not on my phone, you know. You sit in the cart. You're waiting around for everybody. It's brutal. It's no good. Yeah. No, I like I'd that. be walking. Walking's better. Tiger, I'm sure, not but only that's not what we're talking about. We're, this is not. Uh, but, yeah. we're, we're not having a discussion with the PGA. Like you've assembled all the members of the PGA to discuss mm-hmm. that Tiger is better uh, than no Tiger, and now you're giving a bit of a diatribe about you personally, no phone. <laughs> and now everyone at the committee is very confused. Everyone has gathered here. This is a valuable time. This is a lot of rich people yeah. have given you time to discuss this, and now you're out here talking about your own personal game and being on the well, card with your phone. Hmm. Yeah, and uh, by the way... The committee like, is displeased. We just kind of glossed over the fact that Tiger Woods was like college teammates with a guy who couldn't walk and then yeah. was like I don't think uh, you should be uh, not given an advantage like you can't walk it's yeah. like I don't want you on the PGA Tour and yeah. I voted against you having a career yeah I, I, I bet they're not buddies I'm not I didn't gloss over that I I laughed very hard at that I laughed very <laughs> very hard at picturing that guy asking everyone to vote and clearly everyone voting for the guy to use the cart because how could you not? And then Tiger Woods being the one guy going, I voted against it. And the rest of the teammate going, tis your right because you're Tiger. And so no one wants to piss you off. But that's kind of being a bit of a dick, sir. That seems really harsh to this guy. Imagine he wasn't able to play because of that, because Tiger Woods ruled against it. He he physically cannot walk. That's what I'm saying. Casey Martin. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, it's... But but here's the thing, too. I love this, and I love that about certain athletes. The guys who are so cutthroat that they'll do Mm -hmm. anything to win. When we get to see the guy who would have become the CEO of a massive company but play sports. That's why, dude, did you see Charles Barkley yesterday said Michael Jordan hasn't talked to him for 10 years. They were best friends. Hasn't talked to him for 10 years because on his show, he said he didn't think Michael was surrounded by the best people. Michael called him pissed off as a general, as a very unsuccessful owner in the NBA. Charles Barkley, 100% right. And doing his job and Michael knowing Charles for all these years and knowing what kind of outspoken personality he is, he decides, you know what? You've slighted me once publicly. I will never speak to you again. It's been a Mm -hmm. decade in which which you will not hear from me. I I love it. I do. I really love it. I wouldn't Works love in it sports, if all. But like in in real life, like you don't want to be that person. I think you you do. Oh, I don't. No, no, no. I'm not saying I want to be this person. <laughs> no. I'm not even saying I want to know that person. I'm saying for yeah. entertainment, knowing sure. that those people exist in sports yeah. that will do anything to win, is so compelling to me. It's incredible. Yeah. It once it trends into the world of Lance Armstrong, where he goes, "I'll blackmail your whole family." That's where I go. Oh, <laughs> nah, we, we should not do that one. That's yeah. once it starts to actually affect other people's lives. No, but when it, if it's at your own personal sacrifice of reputation, I love it. I can't think of anything cooler 
than yeah, just not Tiger Woods didn't step to the podium thinks. and want to win the court of public opinion and and seem that's like exactly a nice right. Guy. That's exactly right. And what do we see way too much of right now? What's basically everyone's Twitter account is, I'm not bad. <laughs> you know, I'm doing – I'm pretty good out here. You're going, eh, yeah, lame. The people who don't care, those – that's always – that's eternally cool. You know, that'll be yep. cool till the end of humanity. Anyway, um, we got to go. This was fun. Uh, it was great chopping up Tiger Woods and picturing uh, – the entire PGA on golf carts yeah. and everyone calling it and go <laughs> just how they would shoot it is amazing. Uh gonna ask Jeff Blair about what Don Mattingly actually means. Oh. Yeah, I'm gonna yeah, I'll actually Don't talk to golf. golf. Talk to Blair about golf. I know he hates, he golf. hates golf. I know. Yeah. Come on. You think I don't know who my guests are? Anyways, Ben Ennis. Uh if you like this podcast, uh subscribe, review, good hour every single week. Leave five stars, go to iTunes and uh scribble out a, a quick message. It really helps out. Uh quick break, come back, Jeff Blair. What's the pressure level when it comes to the Blue Jays today? Next. So, manager, coach. No, manager day. Don Mattingly hired by the Toronto Blue Jays as a bench coach. I think the Blue Jays have now actually made it official. And John Herdman says he wants to remain as Canada's coach through 2026, through the World Cup. And why wouldn't he? But yeah, some of the quotes are classic uh, John Herdman, pretty inspirational stuff, stuff that makes you really want to, to believe that he is going to continue to impact the program the way that he has. Is Jeff there? Okay, great. Uh, Jeff Blair of the Jeff Blair Show. Uh, oh, what am I, what am I doing here? Why I'm I'm discombobulated today. Uh, Jeff Blair, um, kicking the grass, which is excellent. Listening to it the other day, joins me now. Blair and Barker, what's up, buddy? How we doing? Good man. How you doing? Yeah. Do you want to have the Jeff Blair show back? Would you like to do that? No, again? I'm quite and, fine. Oh, so I'm, I'm quite. No, you're good. I'm quite fine. <laughs> I'm good. Did, did I'm you good. get a little PTSD there? Did you get a little afraid that maybe I was actually having you on to announce that you were back in in the Jeff Blair uh, show seat? I broke out in a sweat for for a minute. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> hey, so no, I'm, I'm gonna I, I, I want to start with Herdman and the soccer. So he says he wants yep. to be here through 2026. How important is it to the program that they have that stability in place for that long? I I mean I think it's huge. I think there's there's an awful lot of work that needs to be done between now and 2026. Um, Canada's got to unearth unearth, frankly, a few more dual nationals willing to play for Canada, preferably dual nationals who can play in the play in the back line. That's something John Herdman's going to have to be in charge of. He's a terrific salesman. They've got to get uh, ready for the Gold Cup. They've got to approach preparation for 2026 completely different than they approached preparation for this. They're in the World Cup. As a matter of fact, they'll probably be in the World Cup for the next few cycles because the World Cup has expanded. The number of teams has, has expanded. And I can't imagine the Canadian program getting to a point in the next 20 years where it's not going to be qualifying out of CONCACAF. So there's a lot of work that needs to be done. They need to schedule some serious friendlies. They still have to sell this. They, they have to sell this team to players. And you know, absent bringing somebody in with a massive international pedigree, there's nobody better to do that than John Herdman. I, I you know, I, I don't think the question is, will Canada soccer want your, John Herdman around? I think, I think that's a done deal. I would be more concerned about 
John Herdman leaving because there is no sport in the planet, J.D., where the contract means less than soccer. I mean, it means nothing. It, it means absolutely, it's not literally not worth the paper it's printed on. Everybody's got a price. Uh, I've got to think John Herdman's smart enough to have some sort of option or some sort of escape clause in his contract. So that, to me, is the is the bigger question. Will some club team come for John Herdman? I I don't think he'll. I don't think there's any international setup that um, you know that would lure him away. You know, even if the England job comes open, he's not getting the England job. With all due respect yeah. to John, that's it's going to go to it's going to go to a, to a big shooter. I don't think internationally he'll find a, a job better than this. His son is at the Vancouver Whitecaps Academy. He's a pretty serious player. The family loves living in BC. So I, the only thing I see happening here, I guess, is somebody like a top championship team, a team like Sunderland or or you know, one of the bigger second-tier English clubs that are on the verge of becoming a Premier League team. I could see maybe a team like that interesting John Herdman. But beyond that, um, beyond that, I, I, I would be stunned if he isn't here in 2026. Yeah, okay, because this is this was one of the fears of his rising stardom. Is he started to get attention, and the Belgium game happens, and you go, "Holy crap! How popular is this guy internationally?" Then a little like the Croatia situation did make me feel at least a little bit differently as a as a casual observer of the way that the Croatian manager spoke about him, which was that he was inexperienced, and the way that those players did with the F Croatia thing, and that, hey, maybe he is a little bit further along, maybe he is not as internationally regarded as some other guys. What is the value of being uh, the guy, the, the manager of Sunderland? Does that disqualify you from being the manager of Canada, um, like, does that completely take you out of the mix with that? How much does that change things? That, so that remains to be the story then, is whether or not those places are going to poach him. Because you can tell him staying with this program through 2026, especially if they have some success as a host country, which usually happens unless you're Qatar, would have an incredible lasting impact for his legacy in this country and just his stardom in this country, his earning potential here. Um, yeah, they, that part of it's obvious. I guess I just don't really understand the the lengths or the upside of the pursuit of him going after some of those other things. Well, I mean, it, it, it really depends on... It sounds really silly, but it really depends on what John Herdman wants to do, what he wants to be 10 years down the road, five years down the road. He's not an old man. Uh, he's, a, he, he's a young guy. He's in, he's in good shape. I think, listen, I, I wouldn't read a great deal into the World Cup. I think if you're, a, if you're a team that is interested in John Herdman, you're probably not going to look at what happened against Croatia and say, I don't want the guy. I mean, I don't think I, – I think most most – professional sports franchises now do their due diligence to the point where they have their mind you know if you're interested in John Herdman you would have your mind made up look he could have gone to coach the English team that's the English uh, women's team that's one reason that he was hired by Canada soccer Canada soccer flat out didn't want to lose him so I can't see anything changing there and I, I would think if if John Herdman wanted to take that next step and manage a club team in England, it probably would have made more sense for him to leave the Canadian job, take whatever other position was being offered, and and sort of build his resume at that location. So I'd, on the list of things to worry about with Canada, I just, at, at this point, I don't think, 
I don't think you can. Now, the one thing I can tell you from talking to people, the one thing I can tell you uh, about John Herdman is he's got a laundry list for Canada soccer. Uh, there was a lot of stuff that happened in the build-up to this tournament he didn't like. We know about the issues with pay. Uh, we know about the issues surrounding transportation of players and their families. And I know people are going to roll their eyes. And, but you know what? That's, that's international life. Every country has those issues. Every country has to fly its players first class or on charters. Every country has to make arrangements for players' families to attend the tournament, to get tickets. Every country has to make arrangements to have a proper national team kit that you know generates revenue for them. And, and I think yep. John Herdman's seen enough in the build-up to this and in some of the issues that he will go to Canada soccer and say, hey, we need this, we need this, we need this, we need this. Top of the list, too. I guarantee you top of the list is no more friendlies against Bermuda. If you want us to be able to beat Croatia, we've got to play countries like Croatia when our international window is open. Yeah. I I was hearing you guys have that discussion on kicking the grass after the Croatia game, and I I thought that that was a great point because who they play like Bahrain? Um, in the lead up to this, and I, I know they played Japan as well, but yeah, you mentioned the stat of what is it, nineteen uh, games they, in a row against they haven't 18? beaten the European team, yeah, yeah, Since it's they just Belarus, the, yeah, which yeah, no offense to Belarus, but that's not the exactly. one that I yeah I really wanted on the resume. Okay, so let's do the list of things then, because that that concerns me what you just said, Jeff, because again, from an outsider's perspective of where things are with Canada soccer's organization, he brings a list of them. I don't view that right now as a group of, oh, you should have a lot of confidence that they can get those things done, right? This isn't think about Masai Ujiri with MLSE and how that went down. And MLSE has been widely successful. They, they you know it's been pointed out that all of their teams have won now recently, except for the Leafs. He brought them a list of different things. They give them a practice facility. They change stuff within the city for the Raptors. I don't have the same confidence John Herdman brings his to the Canadian Soccer Association and then they go, yeah, don't worry, we're going to knock this out. And it starts off with, Canada's getting over $10 million from this World Cup, right? Is that, that's the number? Around that, yes. Around that number. Where does that $10 million go? And is that his first question on the list? Well, see, this is, and, and this is kind of, it, it kind of gets to where where soccer is at this point. Uh in the country um you know canada soccer's yeah part of their raison d'etre is to have the national program and to you know supply the national teams and all that stuff but also they are charged with the responsibility of growing soccer in this country and canada presents some unique challenges in that regard it's a big ass country right this isn't belgium we're talking about it costs a lot to identify talent and provide avenues for that talent to advance. John Herman always used to say, I remember talking to him at the Olympics about this after Canada had gotten there, uh, had won their bronze medal in London. You know, he said, one of the things that really keeps me up at night is the fact that the, the next Christine Sinclair may be playing club soccer in Regina, and we may just not be able to identify her because the country's so big, you know, uh, she may not get to the right academy at the right time, all of that stuff. And, and so there are issues Canada soccer faces, frankly, that other other countries don't face. Um, it's going to be hugely important for Canada soccer to hang on to its corporate sponsors. And that's also where John Herdman comes into play because 
John Herdman can sell, right? I mean, if you're going to go to CIBC or somebody and make a pitch to sponsor the Canadian program, John Herdman's probably the guy you want to get yeah. in, the, in the boardroom. So they're, they're, Brunt made the point when Canada advanced to the World Cup that maybe we should spend less time thinking about whether or not the Canadian players and the coaching staff is ready for the World Cup. Let's spend more time thinking about whether Canada soccer was ready for the World Cup. And it, and it was a really good point. Canada soccer wasn't. They were not ready for this. Whether they thought uh, that Canada had no chance and they were looking forward to 2026, whatever. They clearly weren't ready for this. The infrastructure needs a complete overhaul. Uh, you've got to get more. It, it's got to be less kind of a volunteerish thing and more a professional thing. They need to get some people in who know how to run a big soccer program, right? They need to get somebody in who's got international contacts, who can pick up the phone, who can call his counterpart at the English FA and say, look, we've got an international, we've got an opening for an international in, I don't know, pick a month. In March, we would love to train in Europe. We'd love to set up a game against, against England. Or we'd like to have England come over when England comes over to North America. We'd love to have some games in Canada, maybe a friendly in Vancouver. And things like that. You need people who are professional football people. Not. Do you think this happens, though? Like, Do, do you think that they're... Uh that they're incentivized or motivated to do this or that this is a protectionist group that says, no, 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 we don't want to have to share a responsibility like that or hand power over like that. We'd like to keep it for ourselves. You know, one of the things that's been really noticeable, J.D., not just in soccer and everything in this country in the last two years, when you look at all the stuff going on with Hockey Canada, when you look yeah. at all the stuff going on with Gymnastics Canada, we have some pretty bad people. Like yes. Some pretty incompetent people running it's our very sports insular. programs. It, it bingo. That's that was my next. It it really is. I mean, every you just you know, I don't have to tell you. You've, you've you've talked about it. Go on the internet and look at all the issues every sports body has in this country. Like every sports body is dealing with allegations. Almost every sports body is dealing with allegations of financial incompetence, um, you know, issues with sexual assault, issues with athlete abuse. It's a conversation I think that we need to have as a country, and and I don't know what part of me thinks that we've never really taken sports that seriously, and we like to think we have. And when the Vancouver Olympics came in, we started to win gold medals. We, you know, boy, this was great, and everything was going well. But it's it's just it's remarkable. It, I mean, literally every day you find out another story that just makes you pull your hair out. Like, who are these people? How do they get in these positions? A lot yeah. of them haven't played the sport, right? It's because they know somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody. You know, Soccer Canada, when they were looking to hire to hire replacements, they they allegedly cast did this broad international search, and they basically ended up hiring people like Earl Cochran and people like that who were in the office next door, and, and that can't. You can't do that anymore. You need to, I mean, you need to, you need to treat this like a like a big deal. And if you're going to ask corporate yeah. Canada to fork over millions of dollars, you got to send somebody into the boardroom who's an impressive person. And man, I, I just, I, I think it's it's really one of the the real underreported stories of of this year. When we look back at 2022 in general, we're going to look at this and we're going to make a list of 
all these different sports organizations and go, how the hell did we put all these bad people in charge yeah. of all these programs? And, and but that, that's what scares I, me. You know, yeah, and, and that's I know I, I went on a tangent there, but that's the thing about Canada's soccer that really scares me. What I would like to see, it won't happen. What I would like right. to see that's that's is, it. That's it. You've clearly outlined this really good plan for them. And it yes. just goes, Hey, go get qualified intelligent people to help you with what you don't know. But the thing exactly. about unqualified, stupid people is that they hate doing that because that makes of them course. feel insecure and then they have to open up the books and show everybody how stupid, how incompetent, how backwards thinking they are and how unqualified they are. Hey, and it, that it, means bingo. less pay. That means less power. That means less role. And so for all of these bodies that you just talked about, all these insular Canadian sports bodies that have proven just corrupt, incompetent, whatever, Canada soccer, whenever anybody kind of talks about them that's in the know – they go, yeah, they're really high up there. <laughs> they're they're one of the most incompetent, corrupt groups. And so for me to believe that they're going to be able to get their ducks in a row four years from now or come out of this and all of a sudden it's a reckoning and it's reported yeah, I don't on know. I only hope. I don't know yeah, corrupt. Was, I think you have to be careful. Sure. I don't think corruption is ever really been an issue with Canada soccer. I Maybe mean, that's it, too strong, it, but the players yeah, are going, where's the money? Like, how how is the money being divided between us? The players seem to have at least some issue in terms of the way that their last agreement was negotiated. So I don't know yeah, if but it's I, corruption. You're right. That's too I just strong. Think that's, it's yeah, I just think it's there's not enough. there's not enough money in the system is what I think. And I think Canada soccer spends a lot of money or, or, or is going to take a lot of this money and try to develop the game at the grassroots level, which is all fine and good. But if you are going, if you're going to have a serious international program, you do have to have a fairly healthy bank account. It's nice to do all that other stuff. It's great you do all that other stuff, but you've also got to take care of of you got to take care of your bell cow, right? You got to take care of the big guys, the guys who are bringing in all this money. And that's why Canada soccer absolutely has to, they really have to firm up their corporate sponsorship here and, and, and hang on to who they have and, and, and get, you know, get corporations falling all over each other to attach themselves to this program. Like if you're a corporation, is there another Canadian team right now that you would, you would want to get involved with compared to soccer? Nothing close. Nothing There's nothing close. close. It's a gross sport. You know, it's it's a gross sport. It's played by men and women. I mean, it ticks all the boxes. So Likeable Canada Soccer's group. got to yeah, yeah. Canada Soccer's got Everything. to ensure that that money grows. But to do that, I think what I would do is I would I would do a serious search. I would look around the world. I would bring somebody in from outside the country, somebody with a massive football background. I would put them in charge of Canada Soccer. I would make them the director of Canada Soccer. And 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 let it go from there. Somebody who really knows their way around. And you know the thing is, uh, it, it it it's it's frustrating because in 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 Montopoli they have a guy. I'm sorry, not Montopoli. In um, I'm losing my train of thought now. The guy who's with FIFA, the Canadian who's with uh, Victor Montaliani, Montaliani. Pardon me. He's one of the highest ranking executives in FIFA. He's a Canadian. You've got an ally there, right? You got a guy who speaks, who's not only speaks to power, he's part of the international power base. Use him. You know, he should be the guy telling you who you hire, right? He's a guy who knows what it takes to get stuff done. And that's what I would like to see Canada soccer do. But yeah, John, listen, John Herdman, 
John Hurtman absolutely has a laundry list of, of of things he wants he wants to get done, things he wants to see from Canada soccer, and you know it, it's remarkable how four years flies by. Like I'm, my big concern is Canada soccer says, okay, this is great, let's take eighteen months off, and then we'll talk about this again once the Gold Cup rolls around or whatever. No, no, you got to start. You should be in the phone by now, talking to other FAs and lining up friendlies. Okay, so before you go. Um... It's always funny when someone tweets at me angrily and goes, but you're a journalist. And I go, no, no I am not. You actually yeah. are. Uh, you are. I don't know about that. <laughs> like, I, I cashed no, in my journalist you... card a long time okay. ago. All right. Well, even still, you've been a journalist in this country for a very long time. You've respected one. Like, you hang out. And you, like, you know, when you reference something, you go, I was talking to Stephen Brunt. And it's because you guys are friends. Um, what do you think the importance of athletes doing uh, the press corps media conferences is in, in 2022. Is this, oh, is this something of actual we value have an hour? note? Or? No. Okay. I, yeah. no. This, uh, I, I was, about four times yesterday, I sat down and said, should I tweet out something about this nonsense about Alfonso Davies? And I just thought, no, because I'm not going to be able to explain it. On, I'm not going to be able to explain it on Twitter. This is, <sighs> nothing bothers me more than media people bitching about having to do work. Nothing bothers me more than media people who are so who need they need they need a quote from a player to write their story. Yeah, it's it's a uniquely North American thing. It doesn't happen in Europe. You got no access to players in Europe. I mean, you just don't. You got none. You you never get you never get in a clubhouse or a locker room in Europe. Like North American sports writers, and I, you know, part of this, are the most spoiled, entitled group of sports writers in the world. They have remarkable access to players. And here you have Alfonso Davies, who does his contractually obligated media responsibilities, right? He addressed the rights holders. He blew by the Canadian media scrum on the way to the bus and didn't talk to them. Uh, listen, it would be great if everybody spoke to everybody all the time, but as a writer, I never, you know, I never ripped a guy for not talking to the press. It, they're human beings. Sometimes they don't feel like talking to you. And you know what? Frankly, it makes your story better because I guarantee you there's nothing Alfonso Davies would have said to any of those writers that would have given them two or three days of copy that they got from him not talking to the media. Uh, if you can't write a game story without hearing from a player, then you know, pack up your stuff and come home because you're clearly, you clearly don't know enough about the sport if you're relying on a player to tell you stuff. So I, I've got no time for it. Uh, it's great if players talk to the media. I always put more stock in having a one-on-one -on -one relationship with the player than, than in a group setting. Most of the time, if you want to talk to somebody, you can talk to them. If you've done your work properly, you've got their text number. If, if it's really that important to you, you, you figure out ways to do it. This is, this is part of being a sports writer. You figure out ways around stuff. And on days when it doesn't happen and a dude doesn't speak to you, you go, well, okay, I'll try to get him the next time. And I, I, frankly, the reaction to this, I, I found almost embarrassing 
Uh, and there are people out there, there are sports writers out there who still have this idea. And it's, it's, I don't know where it comes from. They still got this idea that somehow they are the conduit between the athlete and the fans. Well, that's bull. I guarantee Man, uh, you, I guarantee you that Alfonso Davies' Instagram gets more traffic than anything any of the guys or the women or whoever at the World Cup are going to write. If Alfonso Davies, and athletes are like this now, they use social media to talk to their fans directly. They don't need the media. They just don't. I mean, I, I'm in the media. I hate to say that. I hate to tell people that. But it's true. They don't need us. They just don't. We are an impediment to their brand more than anything else. So I, I'm surprised we still have to have this discussion. I'm surprised people still get worked up about this. It's just, it's embarrassing. It's, no, one, no one cares about how difficult your job is. They, they really don't if you're in the media. Most people don't like people in the media, right? That's, yeah. I mean, the, that's, the that's numbers, becoming more and more clear. Yeah, the numbers show that. So yeah. don't, the, the worst thing you can do is whine. And it's just, I agree I, with that. I, I got, honest to God, JD, there have been few things, there are few things that piss me off as much as having folks in our industry go off on athletes because they don't talk to them. Uh, honest hey. to God, if I was a professional athlete, I would do. You wouldn't hear me. I, I would yeah, not. I wouldn't talk hard. to hardly anybody unless I had a good <laughs> yeah. relationship one on one with them. Yeah. Yeah. What the hell do I need to talk to anybody? I can go on. I sure. can go on my Instagram account. Hey. Yeah. And, you know. Anyhow, yeah. I, sorry. Again, I went off on a tangent there. No, man, that was just, perfect. That was great. Hey. That's why I wanted you to say it is because you have the actual like you have the credit to be able to speak about this. It's There's just, a lot of people. Media oh. has changed so much that there isn't everyone that can talk about being a sports writer, being in that room, and and having that wealth of experience that you do have. And so, man, it, yeah, I do think that's valuable. My at one some thing, point, I guess, so many of us became whiny little bitches. I mean, really, yes. that's exactly yes. that's exactly what this sounds like. It sounds like a bunch of guys whining because they didn't get a clip from Alfonso Davies on his goal after his team had its ass handed to it for one. And they don't like feeling like they're not as important, and so they have to say the, the problem that I have with what they're doing and what these guys have done is this is how you continue to diminish your role in sports stories, and now people yes. just trust you less, and yes. you've done yourself no service. And so if your thing is about the good of the game and the greatness of the game, then this is obviously the direct opposite approach that you should be taking. My only kind of somewhat... Uh, I guess my pushback at all is I agree that these guys have reach when it comes to their Instagram and um, their different platforms that they can access to be able to access fans and service fans. Yes, 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 yes. I just I still do believe in the power of storytelling with sports. And I just don't think athletes are ever normally like 95 percent of them are not going to be the best vehicles to advance those stories. If you want to be a brand, then great. You can be a brand without media. You're right. They're an impediment to that 1 billion percent. But if you want to actually have people connect to you and to connect to your story, there are still people who tell that better than the athletes themselves or the people that they hire directly around them to, yeah, make sure that they get a, a BioSteel deal, right? Mm -hmm. No, that, yeah, the, there's there, there's some there's some, there's some truth to that. I mean, it, it, it's a balance, right? Uh, I mean, the guys who do it right find a balance, and and usually the guys who do it right end up getting 
jobs in broadcasting <laughs> yeah. when it's over, right? And, and listen, I'm, I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with talking to members of the media by any stretch of the imagination, but what I'm saying is everybody's human, and there are times where people just don't feel like speaking to you. And, 100%. man, you just you know put your nose down or write your story without it. They're not... A, as far as I know, Alfonso Davies met all his contractual obligations. Yep. And that's, you know what? I, I kind of, I mean, the rights holders are paying a ton of money to get that access that the rest of us don't have. That, and, and that's just, that, that's a fact of life. Listen, I, I covered the Olympics in Vancouver, part of the consortium, right? We had access that nobody else got. And that's just the way it is. I've covered Olympics where I wasn't part of a consortium. Didn't have great access. Again, you deal with it, but when you consider the when you consider the event to have a news cycle where for two days you're talking about whether or not the nineteen twenty twenty one year old star of your team didn't talk to the you know why didn't he talk to the media after a game like that's pretty that's pretty lame that yeah. that that really is. My suggestion would be go out and watch somebody else, watch another soccer match, and write about yeah. that instead of sitting in your hotel room and and you know uh, and, and 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 whining that uh, that Alfonso Davies didn't talk to you. And then we, we even have touched about some of the you know some of the comments about Alfonso Davies and wearing jewelry and all this oh, stuff. He's got very expensive earrings, and that might actually fracture the locker room because there's guys who don't make as much money as him, which yeah. is very unique to sports. Jeff is that in all the other leagues, all the guys. Make the exact same. It's just exactly. everybody gets the exact but, same amount of money. So now here, I'm just going to. I just want to say this very, very quickly, though. This is the thing because it is possible. It is possible that there is, if not an issue, a story there. Yeah, I want to know why Jonathan David didn't take the the penalty kick uh, uh, ahead of Alfonso Davies. He's clearly the guy to do it. Why didn't Jonathan David step up and say, "No, this is mine." And I understand, you know, again, Alfonso Davies is the, big, is the star of the team and all that. But, yeah. hey, there are a ton of countries, there are a ton of club teams where the best player doesn't take penalties for his team. They're just yeah. are. And, and so is that, does Jonathan David need to be a little bolder? Is he a little timid in the presence of Alfonso Davies? Maybe that, maybe that is an issue. That could happen. Alfonso Davies is one of the best young players in the world. There's really nobody else in Canada that's one of the best young anything other than him. So maybe that is a story. And maybe part of the growing process for Canada is coming to a realization that even though you've got a transcendent superstar player in your team, you still have a role. And how do we, how do we work that out? Maybe Alfonso Davies has to give a bit. That's all fine. That, that can entirely be possible. But don't confuse don't let that story get confused with the story that Jonathan Dave or that that Alfonso Davies didn't talk to the media after the game you see what I'm saying there may be a legit story there go at that story without sort of throwing this the side issue uh yeah, I mean, it, it, you know, again, I, I hate to be I that do, I think that, no, that guy right. but it, it, no, but it you're drives right. me around the bend I know but I just, you're right and there's so many levels of it that are right because, again, even if these guys – if the if the reason that you're taking this position of they're not speaking is because it prevents you from telling better stories, it's like, no, that's that's BS. Like you should be able to tell a better story then. You just told us a better story and you didn't speak to Alfonso Davies and have a, and have a quote. 
So it's just kind of nonsensical for a media member. It just it, you're right. It, frankly, it's really lazy to turn it into, well, I didn't get this quote, so here's my take on how this guy's too big of it thinks he's too high on himself and he wears fancy earrings or tweeting about it a million times and comparing someone to Messi like in Argentina. I just yeah, I you're right. I, I do. I, and I, I do have, true. by the way, I do have firsthand experience of Lionel Messi walking past a scrum and not talking to the media. Yeah. I was there. It was in China. It was during the of Olympics. Course. It was after a game against the Netherlands. Lionel Messi walked by. He was the story. Didn't talk to anybody. The only thing he did do, I told the story in the mor- uh, on the morning show, which I got a kick out of and, and I made my story. He walked by. And, of course, everybody's yelling, Lionel, Lionel, Lionel. He looked at us and shrugged, and then he stopped, and he took a reporter's notepad, and he signed his name on it and handed it back to him and kind of winked and walked on. God, that's so And good. I thought, this is a great story. Yeah, that's that better is. than anything he's going to You'd kill say. for that story. You'd kill of for course. that. Of course. That's, yeah. that's, what is that? That tells you more about Lionel Messi than anything he could possibly say. So, I, yeah, I'm, I'm, it's... It's just not – it shouldn't be an issue. It shouldn't be a talking point. Uh, if there is a, an issue with the team, and as I said, that is entirely possible because you do have a bunch of guys at different stages of their career making different money, all this stuff, it's possible. It's possible that there is, is some sort of chemistry situation there. That's, it's okay to talk about that, right? But, but put it in the context of why did Jonathan David not have enough cojones to step up take the ball from Alfonso Davies and go, nah, I got this. Right? That, maybe that is a story. To me, that's something you can talk about. But that's, that, that's different than Alfonso Davies didn't stop, didn't stop and talk to me, which, uh, again, just do your job. Shut up. Do your job. You can point it out in the story. You can take umbrage with it if you want in the story. I have no problem with that. But don't turn it into 48 hour, you know, a 48-hour story. Just well, don't. It's just, it's silly. I always tell the young guys that'll come around, um, whoever is trying to figure out content and pitch their ideas for content, especially on a show like this, if, and I usually come back to the same principle, which is, who who is this for? Like, this, yeah. this opinion or this uh, story that you want to do or this angle that you want to pursue, who is this for? And to me, it's pretty clear that that angle that was pursued by a couple of journalists that uh, covered this there um, was, yeah, self-serving. And that's why I think that it's very annoying. Uh, Jeff, I could yeah, I could go on this for a lot longer. Also, I can't believe I didn't get to Mattingly with you, but I do have to go. I got Eddie Olchek on the other side to talk about Mark. Say hi to Eddie for me. I absolutely will. Uh, Jeff Blair, kicking the grass. You can listen to – you guys are just doing Thursday post-game pod uh, after Morocco. We got a pod after, or we got a yeah, we got a post game show after the Morocco game. We got a pod, and then we're going to do pods every Saturday leading up to the final, and then okay. a final final pod after the final. I love it. Like I said, I, I listen, I subscribe, so I suggest people go and do the same because yeah, you will be absolutely more informed. Uh, he, Riccio, and Devang, uh, Devang going to come in tomorrow, by the way, before the game. Uh, Jeff Blair, excellent as always. Quick break. We'll come back and we will talk to Eddie Olchek, um, who currently has the record from the longest Leafs point streak. Um, watching Marner go for it tonight. That's next. Sportsnet 590, the fan. So Mitch Marner is sitting on 17 games in a row with a point. Uh, He gets one tonight against the San Jose Sharks, and he joins our next guest who is on with us right now uh, at the very, very top 
of the list on that streak. Eddie Olchek, uh, 16 years in the NHL. Current Leafs point streak record holder along with Daryl Sittler. Uh, good morning, Eddie. Thanks for making time today, buddy. Uh, J.D., nice to meet you. Thanks for having me. And uh, quite uh, quite the honor to have uh, been able to uh, share this record with uh, the legendary Daryl Sittler for I guess my quick math, 33 or whatever, how many years it has been. But uh, it's uh, the one thing it's, I think it's reassured me selfishly is uh, uh, to my kids is that I did play in the NHL at one point. <laughs> <laughs> hey, listen, they can look up your hockey TV page. It's impressive. All right. Yeah. They, they have the internet. Yeah. They can be able to see yeah. those things. So, you know, I'm, I'm looking at this and I'm thinking about talking to you today. And I would imagine that one of the cool things always about the streak like this uh, is that you do kind of get to remember your own points. Yeah, you, yeah. you and Lehman yeah. and Mark Osborne and, yeah. and thinking back yeah. on those times. And I wonder if there was one part of that in particular that's that stuck out to you over the last couple of days as, you know, your phone's probably starting to pop off and you're watching Mitch do this. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it certainly is is great to uh, to reminisce and, and think about the, uh, you know, think about the past and, you know, my time in, in Toronto, uh, you know, three and a half unbelievable years, and really kind of JD. It, it uh, you know, I think I arrived in the National Hockey League after my first three years of playing in Chicago, and a couple of really good years. My first two years, and then having a tough third year, and then then shipping me to Toronto, and then I moved to the center ice position, which was pretty much my natural position, you know, prior to turning pro. And to get that opportunity and play, like you said, two incredible line mates and and, and Ozzy and Screamo and, uh, you know, to go on a run like that and and to take people back. I mean, that was the year that Gary was every time that Gary Lehman touched the puck, the puck ended up in the back of the net, you know, I mean, he, he got some leaf history that year of, uh, I think at that time, I think becoming the third leaf in history of getting 50 goals, I think at the time, but uh, you know, it does. It does take me back, and, uh, you know, you can't do it without uh, incredible line mates and teammates. And when you get on a heater like that, um, you just know every night that you're going you're gonna to contribute. Now, whether or not you put points on the stat sheet is, um, you know, you don't know because you need some luck and you need a bounce here or there, and obviously you need some skill in the guys you're playing with. But, uh, you know, just thinking back and then looking back at, at, at some of the games and then when the streak eventually stopped uh, and then being reminded that, you know, once the streak ended and I couldn't break Daryl's record, uh, I had a four-point game the next game against Calgary and had a three-point game the next game against St. Louis. So you're like, gosh, how you know, how did, how did, how did she be able to break that record? But uh, look at it. When you think about the history, like I think about the history, and I've tried to talk to people about this, J.D., recently, it's just like when you think about the history of the Leafs and uh, to have, like I said, shared that record, I'm very honored and humbled for the last, uh, you know, 33 years with a legend like Daryl Sittler. And, yeah, I hope Mitch gets a point tonight and uh, can get to that Magic 18 number and, and whatever happens from there, uh, it's, it's quite the honor. And he's obviously a world-class player and I've enjoyed watching him play and I think ending it with uh, – I'm always pulling for number 16s with the Toronto Maple yeah. Leafs, so we got a little we got a little love there too. 
Yeah, I I do love that there's, you know, 16 to 16 and him being able to do that. <laughs> now, you know, they decide never to just honor one of those. Maybe somebody else somewhere down the line decides they want it too to be able to get that record. Yeah, um, I, that's what I think is actually really cool about the Leafs is one is, you know, people care about this organization and franchise and uh, there's so many people right now that you talking about it remember your own streak. Uh, they remember your line mates. They remember those years that you cared, you know, especially because it was something that you shared with Daryl Sittler, right? And that you shared in an organization like this. And I, I hope that the feeling for Mitch is something along those lines and that, yeah, he cares about it too. And that he's, uh, he's clearly aware of it. Um, I hope he does right. care about it. I hope he does sure. acknowledge it at some point throughout his career, but would, did it get harder as the streak goes longer? Because again, you're, you are a leaf and you know who the person who holds the record yeah. is and breaking yeah. a Daryl Sittler record is pretty cool, right? <laughs> that's, yeah, right. that's, that's Without a good a one to be having. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. the closer you get, the more, did, did you think about it more? Does it become a little hard not to focus on it? Yeah, I mean, and then and then you just feel it too, JD, because your line mates, uh, you know, the guys you're out there with, they're you know they're forcing you to puck, right? Like they're, they're you know they want you to be in on the action, and you know, I mean, when you're a center iceman, obviously, you know, I mean, the game's different now than it was, you know, back 30 years ago. But you know, when you are the center ice position, you have probably more opportunity to you know to really get involved and to get the puck and and, and kind of facilitate yourself. But you know, your line mates start realizing it and and you know they start forcing it to you and you know probably when they would probably have you know if there was you know i guess if you use the uh, you know the term check down in football yep. you know they probably would look and see well there's check down one uh he's not there check down two probably looks pretty good but you know it's not idio and then all of a sudden well let's go let's just just, just force it to him and see if we can get him involved and that's like I said, the respect and the love as far as line mates and teammates, I think that's why we got along so well together on a line. And, um, you know, it was interesting. You made that point about, you know, Mitch and obviously him being a, a very young guy and me, you know, having played in, and Daryl, obviously, um, you know, playing well before Mitch Marner was born. But, you know, you'll you wonder, I wonder, because again, I think today's player, and this is not just today's player, but I'm going back probably, 10 years i think today's player is 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 different than the player of you know the era of you know the daryl sittlers and the guys that came in the in the late 70s and 80s and i'm I'm just talking in generalities of of the you know knowing and really knowing the players that came before And, and for me growing up in chicago my life was hockey i knew you know i knew every player i might not have known where they were from but i certainly would could tell you where they played and and what type of player they were, which way they shot, and what position they played. You know, I don't know, and I'm again, I'm going back 10 years, maybe even 15 years. You know, there are a few um, that really, you know, knew the players or the era that came before them, you know. And, and you know, look at whether, you know, Mitch Martin may know Eddie Olchek just as a broadcaster. You know, like he grew up with, yep. you know, maybe me doing games or me doing video games or whatever it might be. Uh, he may not know, uh, you know, my career or whatever. And obviously, Daryl Sittler is in a way different atmosphere. I'm not putting myself in Daryl's category. But, you know, being in Toronto and, and Daryl being around and, you know, any highlights you see, you know, you see him with his 10-point game or whatever. So, you know, look at Like, it, it's it's an honor and a privilege. And any time any player with the Leafs has gotten close here over the course of the last, you know, 30-plus years, it certainly brings back great memories for me selfishly and, and uh, just, like I said, it's, it's incredibly humbling 
and uh, honored to have you know been a part of this for as long as I have. And then I'm hoping Mitch is able to get it out of the way early uh, tonight and uh, and be on the verge of uh, holding a record all by himself, which uh, would be pretty impressive. And when you think about the history of the Leafs. You were. He, I think the history of the organization will be impressed upon him further tonight because there will be another honoring of Boreas Salming. Um, you were his right. teammate during his right. final two yeah. seasons yeah. with the Leafs. Yeah. Uh, he gave you, you know, what, your first uh, assist on your first goal with the Leafs, I believe. Yeah. Um, yeah. What What impression did he leave on you during your time together in Toronto? Uh, just, uh, you know, just a terrific veteran. Um, you know, look at obviously, again, me you know, talking again, this is just me, the history of the game and, and knowing where Borea came from and what he did and opening up that door um, for European players, for Swedish players in particular, and in being such an impactful player in, in, in Toronto and obviously off the ice in the community. And, uh, you know, I mean, it was just like, I mean, just so lucky to, to have been around him for the couple of years and uh, had so much fun with him. Um, but you know, like I, I felt JD is that I learned when I came into the national hockey league, I learned from guys like Steve Larmer, Dennis Savard, Troy Murray, Kirk Frazier, guys that I came into the league as a rookie, you know, you were seen and not heard when you came in at that time and you watched how they treated, you know, the young guys and how they treated the trainers and how they carried themselves. And then, as you get a little bit older, you see. And then when I got to Toronto, I saw Borean and what he meant to the community. And he was a fabric of Toronto and, and just his legendary status, right? I mean, he was the king for a reason. And so to have that chance to play with him for a couple of years was, uh, was just incredible and uh, just so sad um, to lose him as we have. And, uh, you know, just to remember the, the incredible times and, I remember, uh, J.D., if I could real quick, uh, when when I did get traded to Toronto and we came back to Chicago, I don't want to say it was my first year, but maybe it was within the first two years. Um, we had, uh, when we came to Chicago for a game, uh, we got the team bus and we all went to my parents' house for uh, a team dinner. And my mom had and my dad hosted the team and, the play, uh, you know, the players and the trainers and uh, my late mother made probably about 100 pounds of meatballs and pasta and the whole nine yards. And I remember Borea sitting on my uh, on my family's couch at, at, at their home and just looking at old photos of of my family and talking to my dad and just taking a real a real interest in kind of where I came from and who all these people were and. Uh, you know, by the time I looked over and my dad and, and Borea were still talking for probably a half hour and we probably were a couple of pints in i'll just say that and everybody was feeling good but uh that was the idea so um you know long-winded i mean i could go on for hours but just an incredible uh, teammate and uh, always took care of uh, the guys and their families and uh, was very important and helped me become very comfortable in, in toronto for the for the couple of years that we played together uh, Eddie Olchek, thank you so much for your time. And again, you uh, you are absolutely a part of tonight. Um, again, the Leafs will raise funds for ALX Auction Canada with a special promotion tonight. Uh, proceeds of the retro, the reverse retro jersey are going to go to that charity. So all player sweaters from the game versus San Jose are going to be auctioned tonight, and there will be the Salming Patch uh, available to the public. Um, we got to run. 
Uh, we will see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening.